This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Right now, I want to talk about some of the tech news, as we always do here on Get Connected. Uh, Graham, uh, I don't know if you followed the story. Gatwick uh, Airport was closed before Christmas because there was uh, apparently some drones being flown in the airspace. They arrested two suspects that ended up not being the suspects. What's going on here? Uh, so, I mean, drones obviously are a really cool thing for a lot of people. It's great for a number of industries. Uh, we've seen cinematography absolutely change. Real estate has absolutely loved drones. And unfortunately, there are some numbskulls out there who don't realize that there are no fly zones for some of these things. Yes. And so Isn't we, it built into the, the drones now? In some cases, yes. So okay. DJI has done a remarkably good job in zoning out some of these areas. Yeah, so like you, airports and fly you, zones. Yeah. yeah, so like the Lionsgate Bridge, for example, with a number of drones you try to fly over that because it is a flight path for harbor air yes uh you can't fly a drone there not a chance and so i mean you're gonna be very sad if you try to get that aerial shot and it won't work but that's that unfortunately not all drones are like this and even if all commercially produced drones were you can actually build your own drone uh with a raspberry pi and some parts relatively easily uh so what we have here is people who are flying these things uh no we don't know obviously if it was for nefarious purposes or not uh a drone being sucked into the engine of a plane would be a significantly difficult thing to deal with. Not good. Not good. Yes. So uh, obviously uh, police were uh, were cautious about this and doing their best to... But it uh, delayed like a thousand flights at for the, the holiday day. season. I mean, it's just, this is the worst time that this, this for this to happen. I saw a documentary of uh, something like this. I think it was called Die Hard 2. Die Hard 2. You know what? I, I watched that movie over Christmas. It's great, right? Uh, yeah. So Die Hard 2, uh, Bruce Willis. Yep. Uh, this time... Uh, some bad guys have taken over airport uh, control. I forget what city it was for. Was it Chicago or Washington, D.C.? I feel like it was New York, right? Somewhere over yeah. there. Um, but it was interesting looking at the technology. When Bruce Willis comes into the airport, uh, he gets a, a page on his pager. So he pulls out a pager. This was back in the 90s. It wasn't that far back. <laughs> and then he, he you know, obviously has to go to a phone to make a call. And so he had to wait uh, at this giant phone bank, you know, they had like a dozen phones and everyone's on the phone. Do you remember that? I do remember that. I mean, we used to have, we used to have uh, pay phones around. There actually is on Columbia Street in New Westminster, there is a functioning pay phone. A functioning pay phone. A functioning pay phone. I, I, I sort of, I make a pilgrimage to it every once in a while. So it's funny. He finally gets a phone and phones his wife who's paged him. Uh, she's in an airplane. Yes. And so she basically picks up the air phone. Remember yep. the air phones in the back of the seat? With the that, credit card swipe? Yeah, that no one used <laughs> because they were stupid expensive. It was like $5 a minute. Yep. And the only reason you used them was, hey, I'm calling you from an air, airplane. <laughs> Those died. We've been delayed by an airport being shut. So yeah, it's uh, definitely not a thing we'd see often nowadays. So... The next story is an interesting one for me, Graham. Um, Apple had an issue called Bendgate. Mm-hmm. Was that with the iPhone 6? Uh, that was, yes. The iPhone, iPhone 6. 6 yeah. So people were reporting back in the day when they got their iPhone 6s that they were easily easily bent. Yes. I don't know if that was ever really true or not. It wasn't really. I mean, we saw a bunch of people. There was the fellow from Unbox Therapy, Lou, who bought a bunch of these things. And you could see him reefing on this. And he's not a, he's not a small guy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there was an issue, um, if you were to put these things in your back pocket and sit down on them and whatnot, which you're putting your thousand dollar microcomputer in your back pocket and dumping a hundred and some odd pounds on top of it. Yeah. Let's it's get probably real, people. Bend. 
Like, probably could have been. Yeah. So it's an issue again with the new iPad Pros. Well, this one's a little bit different. And these are beautiful. Have you tried one yet? I have, yeah. It's gorgeous. And, and so the, the challenge here isn't that people are you know sitting down on it or whatnot. They're saying that it's coming out of the box visibly bent. bent. And so uh, Apple has announced that you know there is a bend that is within tolerances, but that is point four millimeters. So to give you some perspective on that, that is the the, the thickness of about four human hairs. So if you've got a visible four bend, human, how how can you even see that? Well, that's it. You can't. So if you've got a visible bend in your iPad, it is actually one hundred percent covered. Bring it back to Apple; they'll get you a new one. End of story. Um, this is a lot of tech journalism that's up in arms, looking for something to talk about Apple. Because when we do that, we drive down the share price, and then you get to buy Apple shares at a bit of a discount. So we're seeing this new cycle happen all over again. Apple's way ahead of it. Um, if you've got a new iPad Pro and it's got a bend in it, go get it replaced. If you don't. Relax. It's not going to spontaneously bend on you overnight. And if you're really worried, buy an OtterBox case because you can drop a safe on it at that point. Bam. Uh, I didn't know this, but uh, Facebook is getting into cryptocurrency with WhatsApp? Yes, they are. What the heck? Uh, so essentially... You trust Facebook. 100%, right? <laughs> I mean, with crypto, so here's the thing with cryptocurrency, because this is a distributed ledger, this is inherently trustworthy. Um, you know, the, the system there is, is by design more trustworthy than other systems. Uh, so when you t- we take a look at it, uh, people are using WhatsApp and they're transmitting money through Venmo. Uh, people are transmitting money through PayPal, through Apple Pay. Um, you know, none of that is a distributed ledger that uses that cryptocurrency technology. So none of it's really um, as trustworthy as some that is backed by this. Um, this one's got a lot of red flags for me. You know, it's a cryptocurrency that <laughs> yeah. is pinned to the U.S. dollar. It's managed by Facebook. Uh, I think they make 11-foot barge poles for these things because I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot one. So why are they getting into this? Uh, well, they're, they're having people use these platforms and using apps within them to transmit money around. And so the more that you can lock people into your ecosystem, the better it's going to be. And so that's really a, it's a smart way for Facebook to keep people inside uh, the, the Facebook ecosystem. They're trying to convince us that there is a Facebook ecosystem, which right now with Facebook and WhatsApp and Instagram, they're kind of building one. It'll be interesting to see how that uh, all pans out. Want to talk about something coming up uh, in the new year? We are hearing more and more about it, uh, more so from all the trouble that Huawei is having, uh, and that's 5G. There's 5G networks rolling out that will take uh, communications and networking to a whole other level. To help us understand what it's all about, where we are now and where we're going, we've got our mobile expert, Shruti Shakar from Mobile Syrup on the line. Thanks for joining us, Shruti. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. So we've been hearing a lot about 5G lately, um, and for most normal people, they probably don't fully understand <laughs> what that is. I'm still struggling to you know, figure it all out. And, and you know, the reason why we're hearing a lot about it is Huawei uh, having a lot of trouble with uh, the U.S. and, uh, of course, Canada, Australia, New Zealand uh, about uh, you know, network 5G hardware. Explain to our listeners what 5G is about and, and what we can expect from it. So 5G really is something that um, is the next iteration of mobile network um, networks that's going to be rolled out around the world. One thing that most people um, need to remember that is that 5G is, is particularly going to be used for things like smart homes, smart cities, automated vehicles. It's basically like the next generation of that connectivity that that exists in this world. Um, but it doesn't go it doesn't go without saying that. 5G's can, 5G network can be still used on mobile phones. Um, it could be used for faster speeds, faster downloads, um, you know, watching 4K video. So it, 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 
there can be usage of 5G on cell phones, but it's more so for that bigger picture um, capability of connectivity. Well, it's interesting. I think the big thing from what I'm understanding is uh, the, the latency and, and how fast it, it makes the connection. So, for example, when you're on your phone and you click on a, a web link to go to a web page, there's always that kind of like half second or second lag before the page mm-hmm. uh, loads. Uh, from what I understand, 5G, it will be instant, uh, which makes that much more uh, obviously appealing for things like autonomous cars and even uh, uh, remote surgery, for example. I mean, you don't want any, totally. any lag on, on that. Absolutely. And that that's really is where that research is going. And actually, um, you know, as you mentioned, most people are aware of what 5G is because of Huawei and the woes that it's going through right now. Um, it's important to also remember that um, despite the woes that, that Huawei is going through right now, it doesn't mean that 5G is going to limit itself and that rollout is still going to happen in 2019. In fact, Deloitte, I spoke with Duncan Stewart, the director of research, um, he at Deloitte in Canada told me that 5G rollout is going to be happening. It's going to be well in its way at the end of 2019. Um, and 25 operators around the world are going to have launched this 5G service, mainly in cities, of course, because again, this is something that is so brand new. It's like the next iteration of the network. So, um, you kind of want to test it in like bigger metropolitan cities. If I, as an example, obviously like Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, those kind of places like dense cities that people are traveling in, in and out. Um, and then Deloitte also predicts that 20 handset vendors will launch 5G ready handsets. And they also expect that 1 million 5G handsets will be sold by the end of the year. So that's, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, it seems very little for most people because they think, you know, out of the 100 million handsets that are being sold, um, what's 1 million? That's like nothing, right? But in, in fact, um, Mr. Stewart was telling me that this is, you know, successes in, in what anyone's definition is, but, um, the reason why it's 1 million is because 5G is so brand new. People are still trying to understand how it works. And I think most of those 1 million users will be sort of early adopters or people who are um, interested, uh, you know, the people who are like, oh, what's 5G? I want to have the newest phone. I want to have a 5G phone. So I think those are what, that's what's going to happen by, by the end of 2019. Well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I look at Apple, uh, for example, uh, you know, from what I've read online, some of the rumors, uh, Apple says, uh, or these rumors anyway, uh, Apple is not going to come out with any 5G handsets or devices till 2020. So I think they're kind of waiting for everything to shake out. Yeah, and actually that's, um, that is something that I've also read. Some of the launchers of these 5G phones, uh, the manufacturers that I'm at least reading, reportedly reading, um, for example, like Samsung, they're planning to launch a premium Galaxy S10 with 5G-only capabilities, particularly in the U.S. and South Korea in late 2019 or maybe even early 2020. And then you've got LG, who's also planning on launching a 5G phone at the Mobile uh, Mobile World Congress next year in February that's hosted in Barcelona. And then you've also got the Chinese smartphone maker OnePlus. They've actually already announced that they're going to be launching a 5G phone. It's going to feature a Qualcomm chipset, and Qualcomm, of course, is the largest chipset maker. Um, And they're expecting that it's going to be under $1,000. So um, there are a few manufacturers out there that are already planning ahead because they know that they're that this is the next generation of phones, right? People are going to want it. But I don't know how 
quick it's going to come into Canada. I mean, right now, we don't even have the proper spectrum capabilities to handle 5G. You need a specific spectrum that's 3.5 megahertz spectrum um, or um, um, millimeter wave spectrum, which neither is in Canada currently. Our carriers don't really have that. And there's auctions that are set up to take place in 2019 and 20, or sorry, 2020 and 2021. But up until that happens, Canada is sort of in the backseat of launching these phones. And Duncan Stewart at Deloitte was telling me that's totally okay because Canada sort of wants to see what other players are doing and kind of let them make the mistakes before it comes to Canada, right? So it's, it's sort of one of those situations where it's going to come into Canada, but it might come a little later than everywhere else, like China, uh, Korea, or, or the U.S. I wonder, does that put us at a disadvantage if these guys are coming out uh, with these networks first, or is that uh, maybe play well for us because they're going to make all these mistakes like you were saying? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, it, it doesn't put us in a disadvantage at all. I mean, I, already you know that, um, you know, TELUS, uh, Rogers, and Bell are all working with uh, uh, Network providers uh, who are testing in 5G. You've got Huawei that's being tested, uh, Sony, uh, Ericsson's being tested, Nokia's being tested. So these functions, these um, these manufacturers or these network providers are actually, you know, testing the facilities and capabilities in Canada. We've been testing it for the past 10 years. So it doesn't really put us back in a disadvantage. I think we just want to get it right. And I think there's nothing wrong in just stepping back and letting the other players see what they're doing and kind of working off of their mistakes. Because why, why do something, um, you know, and make mistakes in the process when you could be perfect in the process, right? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I know a lot of people, uh, techie people, are excited about 5G. But like you were saying, you know, a few uh, handset manufacturers are going to be coming out with some models in 2019. Uh, you know, the 5G networks aren't fully baked yet and, and, and rolled out. Uh, and then, where you, you know, when you talked about the smart cities, smart cars, and, uh, you know, healthcare, uh, you know, who knows how long that will take for them to fully embrace 5G technology uh, as well. I mean, we could literally be four or five years away from that becoming mainstream. Totally. And I, I don't, again, like I said, I don't think that that's a bad thing, right? Like when uh, Duncan Stewart was telling me as well, like when 4G first, like LTE network first came out in Canada, it was very new. People weren't, you know, they didn't understand what that network was and how fast it was and the capabilities that it offered. And there was a very few adopters in the initially, like I think he said that it was like 1 million people. Again, it was very similar, but as we understood the technology as we understood the capabilities, you know, there were more adopters. People are like, and now if you look at 2018, every phone has LTE more or less. Every user has LTE network more or less. So it's not unsurprising, but again, I think it will take a couple of years before those advances, uh, advancements come into, into fruition really. We're talking with Shruti Shakar from Mobile Syrup all about 5G coming up next year and beyond. Not coming as fast as I think some people would like, but it will happen uh, in the coming years. Thanks again for joining us, Shruti. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. We talk a lot about smart home and smart home automation uh, in this show, and it's becoming so prevalent now with smart uh, smart light switches, these little robotic smart vacuum cleaners, smart appliances. Well, they all have to be controlled by something. We can control them now with like our Google Home and Google Assistant. We can control them with... Amazon Echo with the Alexa voice assistant. Apple has their own system, and uh, not everyone, I think, is uh, 
as aware of it as some of these other ones. It's called HomeKit. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is uh, hard-baked into the Apple ecosystem. So if you've got an iPhone or an iPad or even uh, an Apple Mac with the latest operating system, you're able to control your smart home technology that adheres to that HomeKit standard. Mm-hmm. And it's actually pretty nice. Like I've got all sorts of different types of uh, gear in my house. But I love setting it up for Apple HomeKit because it's just so smooth and easy. Yeah, it ties into their whole ecosystem quite nicely. There is a Home app on your Apple Watch. There's one on your phone. There's one on your Mac. Uh, The cool thing about a lot of the HomeKit accessories is that they actually connect up to all of the other systems as well. So if you have something that is HomeKit compatible, typically it will also be Alexa compatible or it will also be uh, Google Home compatible. Uh, So in my particular case, I've got a few things there. I've got a Lutron system that's at the core of my lighting. Yeah, so that's all your light switches. Yeah. Yeah. And so Lutron has actually also released a series of remotes that work with my Sonos system. Oh, which I is really didn't neat. know that. Yeah, so they're yeah. just the, the little Pico remotes that you can use to play, pause, uh, back and forward. So that's my lighting. Uh, I've actually got the front door uh, connected with an August uh, smart lock. Yes. And so these, this is a great little device, but I had some trouble. And I don't know if you, if you ran into this uh, as well, but a lot of people did. In September, suddenly a bunch of my HomeKit stuff stopped working. <laughs> And, and then you couldn't get in your house or turn the lights on. <laughs> it was an absolute disaster. No, the, the front door lock uh, wasn't responding when I wasn't close to it. So if I, if I was out remotely, I wouldn't be able to see if it locked or unlocked. I wouldn't be able to lock it or unlock it on my own. And the reason for being is your Apple TV... Uh, can act as a home hub for you. So in a lot of cases, uh, if you're buying some of these devices like uh, like Philips Hue and things like that, they'll come with their own hubs. Yes, but you need that you hook into your router. Yeah, and you need yeah. something to tie it all together with your uh, with your Apple. Uh, HomeKit stuff, and the Apple TV or an iPad that you keep at home all the time uh, can stand in as your hub, which is really convenient because I've got an Apple TV anyway. Yeah. Turns out that we just found out that iOS 12 and tvOS 12, when it first launched, actually reduced the Bluetooth range of the Apple TV to about two meters, which is... Why? It was it seems like it was a bug. Okay. And so I lost Bluetooth connectivity with my lock. Now, it turns out when my phone was near it, it would connect up to my phone via Bluetooth, and therefore it would lock and unlock properly. So it was this weird, bizarre problem that I had difficulty diagnosing. So I've actually been working on the Apple forums for the past couple of weeks to try to figure out what was going on. And sure enough, uh, I think it was about a week ago, we had 12.1.1 drop. Yeah. And it's fixed this problem. So if you've had a HomeKit device like an August lock or something else that was Bluetooth that was at a farther range that stopped working in September, um, it should actually be working again, which is kind of nice. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so the nice thing about HomeKit, though, is the app, yes. really. Like, when you go on that app, it's just so straightforward. You've got, you know, all your different rooms, and you can set up different rooms. And so, you know, if you've got some smart uh, technology in your living room, you can basically kind of drop them in there and easily control them with a click of the button, or use Siri as well, like your voice. Yeah. And one of the things I really like is being able to invite people to have control of the home temporarily. So if you have friends or guests come to visit, you can actually assign them a role and invite them to your home and have that expire at a given amount of time as well. So when they're gone, they're gone. You don't have to worry about revoking their access. I've got a ton of different automation set up as well. So at sundown, a number of my lights in the house turn on to about 40% because it's a nice level at sundown. Uh, At midnight, everything uh, outside of my bedroom turns off. And so basically I'm saving energy in rooms that I'm not using. So a really smart way to go about automating all of your stuff. 
That is Apple HomeKit. If you've got an iPhone and some of these smart home devices, uh, definitely a great way to set it up. Uh, and I always recommend, if you're looking for new uh, smart home gadgets and devices and lights and things like that, uh, look for ones that work on all the platforms. So Apple HomeKit, Google Home with the Google Assistant, and Amazon Echo with the Alexa Voice Assistant. If you do that, then you're covered. You can basically pick your favorite kind of ecosystem to live in to control everything. My problem, I put some smart light switches in my house, and they're not HomeKit compatible. I know. Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, it's fine. I use uh, Amazon uh, Echo and the Alexa voice assistant uh, to control everything, but it, it would have been kind of nice to be able to use the, the Apple app for it as well. Yeah. Not a big deal. Well, uh, the new year is upon us, and to get some of the uh, the rumors and predictions out there for some new gadgets coming down the line, we've got our expert Igor Bonifacic from MobileSyrup.com. Igor, as always, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, and happy holidays. Thank you. You too. Uh, let's let's talk about some of the rumors out there. Uh, for the Google fans, uh, a new Pixel phone in the works? Yeah, this one, uh, as it did with the Pixel 3, has been coming out of the neither in Russia. A lot of leaks have come out uh, since then. And just today we got a report from Android Police's David Ruddick, who is pretty much an authority on these things. He said, you know, Verizon plans in spring 2019 to release with Google the Pixel 3 Lite. Uh, so essentially, it's like a mid-range version of the existing Pixel 3. Uh, uses a slower processor, has less RAM, less storage. But I think the important thing here is it includes a headphone jack and is going to have more or less the same great camera as the Pixel 3. So, I mean, it all comes down to pricing because it is a very competitive market, especially in the mid-range. But if Google can price it, you know, at a good price, I think this is going to be like a very interesting phone for a lot of people. I think it will be interesting. I, I'm finding now with uh, the flagship phones, they are just getting priced into the uh, stratosphere. You know, the new iPhone XS mm-hmm. and XS Max, uh, even with the Google Pixel 3, uh, you know, the Samsung phones, though they're, you know, well above $1,000 now, some of them hitting $1,300, $1,500. So uh, getting a, a phone like a, you know, a brand name phone, uh, like a, a Pixel down under that $1,000 mark, I think would do well in the marketplace. Yeah, totally. And I mean, the whole thing for a lot of people, you know, the camera is their smartphone and the Pixel for the last two years, I'd say, has had one of the best cameras full stop on any on any phone. So um, I think if you can price it at the right price, this is going to be, like I said, a very compelling phone. And, you know, just to build on your point, you know, like with 5G coming up and uh, these foldable phones, I think we're going to see a lot of rises or the prices of phones continue to rise even higher you you mentioned foldable phones uh we've seen this over the past few years samsung and lg uh have uh, been kind of teasing uh phone screens that can fold in half what are you seeing out there so i'm gonna say like i'll believe it when i see it uh only because you know this is something well i mean i should mention you know so samsung they at their uh developer conference in san francisco earlier this year they finally showed off a prototype but it feels like they've been showing prototypes off for as long as i've been doing this job (laughs) so until one of these is like in the market and you can actually buy it i am gonna hold my breath 
Um, because, you know, like every CES is the same, like both LG and Samsung come out and show rollable displays, foldable displays, and they're like, oh, this, you know, it feels like this has been the next big thing for the past five years. Right? Yeah. So, um, as for, you know, so the current rumor though, to get back on track is that both, uh, that's at least LG will show off, uh, a foldable display smartphone at CES, um, Samsung is supposed to uh, announce and release a foldable phone sometime this year. Um, again, like I'll wait until we actually get these in our hands because I don't know these these things have been the next big thing for so long. I can just imagine the engineering that has to go into something like that, like a foldable screen. Mm-hmm. Like, how many times will you actually? Be able to you know fold it and unfold it. You know, obviously, there's got to be a lifespan uh, on that, and it's mm-hmm. probably the reason why we haven't seen anything yet really out in the wild. Yeah, and a big thing is is actually the foldable display is the easy part. What's much harder is the battery, right? And like Samsung famously has had issues with its batteries, right? Like it wasn't so long ago that Note, uh, what was it, the Note Eight, um, no, Note sorry, Seven, Note 7 yes. yes, uh was lighting up the world for all the wrong reasons. So, um, you know, there's obviously a bit of reticence. They want to make these uh, phones safe. And as I said, the display is the easiest part. It's all the other components that need to bend that is somewhat harder. And then the other thing is, is like, you know, what was amazing about the iPhone when it first launched was it made like, it took what is like a very complicated thing, which is, you know, like it made computing simpler, right? And the question I always have is like, how is like a foldable phone going to make using your phone easier or more intuitive? And I don't think they've actually like necessarily found the answer to that. You can see some like videos of like these prototype um, foldable display smartphones uh, from Chinese OEMs, and quite honestly, the experience looks terrible. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see how it all works out. Yeah. Well, that might be uh, in our future. Uh, let's talk about Apple now, and uh, this uh, just kind of came up on my radar. Uh, they're looking uh, to put out a new iPad Mini. That might be a new iPad Mini Pro. Yeah, so like this is kind of, you know, I think the iPad mini is a fan favorite for a lot of people. Uh, certainly like I have one, I believe it's the iPad mini three or four that I have still sticking around at my house and I use it all the time. It's just, there's something, even though like we have these bigger display smartphones, like there's something about the iPad mini that is just like very, that I personally like a lot. And I know a lot of other people do too. And it hasn't like since 2015 they haven't updated this uh the iPad mini and it seemed for the longest time that they just planned to kind of let it sail off into the sun um but now we're getting these rumors that there there's going to be an iPad mini 5 it's coming out sometime in 2019 and it looks like it's going to borrow a lot of features from the iPad Pro which is exciting uh not sure whether it's going to have uh, t- or Face ID, excuse me, instead of Touch ID. But what it looks like it will have is like the four speakers of the iPad Pro. It's going to have the smart connector, so you can use one of Apple's uh, complimentary keyboards. Again, not sure about the Apple Pencil, but that would be a cool addition, though perhaps at that size you don't need one. Um, so, again, like the details are sparse, but it's like a very, I know for myself and a lot of other people, like, 
just makes sense. Bring us another iPad mini. Do you think this is uh, going towards a trend where people are going more into these tablets with the keyboards than, than getting a notebook? Yeah, I mean, certainly, like, there's, you know, for a lot of people, um, you know, personally, I, like, I wish, like, I have an iPad Pro that, uh, you know, reviewed and stuff, and it's such a great piece of hardware, but, like, it's just iOS, when it comes to the tablet side, is not quite there yet, and I'm hoping that Apple, you know, like, it's it can't just be hardware, it has to be a software push, so I'm hoping this, all of this comes together where it is more of a push towards that. And I think it is uh, like responding to that people want simpler kind of computers. They want lighter computers. Um, And the iPad Pro and this iPad mini could potentially be the best of both worlds with a bit of like a couple more tweaks. We're talking with Igor Bonifacic all about uh, some of his uh, tech predictions uh, and uh, looking at the rumor mill for 2019. Igor, thanks again for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. A little bit uh, of time left to talk tech. We're going to do some Amazon Alexa voice skills. These are the commands that you can uh, download into your Amazon Echo speaker and control and do all kinds of fun stuff. I don't know if you saw this. Amazon had a great holiday season with the Echo speakers. Mm-hmm. So much so in Europe, it actually brought the whole Amazon Alexa network down. Oops. Crazy. Everybody logging in all at the same time. Yes. They yep. got their new Amazon speaker, wanted to try it out. Wow. Kind of melted down, but they got it up and going again. Uh, so you've got a couple skills for us. What's the first one, Graham? Well, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, as you can probably imagine. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that came as no surprise to no. you. Uh, so the first one is the official Harry Potter quiz. So this is put out by Pottermore, which is uh, J.K. Rowling's sort of Harry Potter enterprise. And so this is an official quiz that uh, frames each question and answer uh, from the popular audiobooks. And so you can basically set your level uh, your ordinary wizarding levels, your owls or your newts, which is your harder levels. Uh, you can declare your house, whether you are Gryffindor, uh, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff. All through your Amazon Echo speaker? Slytherin, yes. yes. Yeah. Do you know which house you are? Uh, no. I feel like you're a Huff- Hufflepuff. I'm a Hufflepuff? You seem like a Hufflepuff to me. Uh, <laughs> is that the, the handsome? Uh, absolutely. It's just the what? handsomest. Yeah. Yes, okay. Uh, so you can earn points for your house on a, on a daily basis. Try to get your house to the top of the leaderboard. Uh, this is a, a ton of uh, fun to play. And if you play regularly or on special event days, you can get even more points. So if you like your Harry Potter, uh, this, this is, again, based on the books and the audiobooks, not on the movies. Uh, you, can, uh, you can have a lot of fun with the official Harry Potter quiz. That was one of our Amazon uh, Alexa skills. You've got a second one for us, Graham. Yeah, Virtual Nurse. Virtual nurse. Well, tell us what this one's about. Yeah, so virtual nurse is it's an informational uh, skill. So if there is an emergency, call nine one one. If you need to speak to an actual human nurse, call eight one one. But uh, if you have some questions, you can ask virtual nurse, and they will have an answer for you. So you can say things. Why am like, I bleeding profusely? Well, see, that would be an emergency. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so uh, things like, what is the normal temperature of a baby? Uh, how do I perform CPR? Uh, what are the symptoms of heat stroke? All of these things are informational, and virtual nurse will be able to provide you with an answer that you can then take action upon should you need to. Where is it drawing all that information from? Uh, from a variety of different sources on the web. Okay. Probably WebMD. So this is, uh, I mean, you shouldn't diagnose yourself ever, really, but it kind of might give you a little bit of peace of mind. That's right. Yes. Yep. 
Like, because if there is an emergency... 911. 911, or you always see your doctor. Yes. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.